Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor here at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah, and we are continuing to look at the uh, Old Testament, following along with the Sunday school schedule made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This week, for the week of September 5th through the 11th, we start looking at the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be in the book of Isaiah for five weeks because Isaiah is 66 chapters, and it's uh, full of all sorts of amazing stuff. And today we're just going to look at chapter 6. For the week, it says to read chapters 1 through 12, but today we're just going to look through the first few verses of chapter 6. And an amazing thing happens. We witness something just startling, amazing. Isaiah has an encounter with the Lord. That's what we're going to see. So let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Now that is pretty epic, wouldn't you say? That is an epic scene. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, a couple of things to point out that just may have sounded strange. The first was that Isaiah said this was in the king or the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a king in Judah, and all that's mentioned here is uh, about him is that he died that year. So it's kind of a time marker for when this happened. Okay, so we don't need to get distracted by that for our purposes here today. Another thing that might sound strange is the seraphim. The seraphim, it's a, it's a class of angel, and uh, multiple seraphs make a, a group of seraphim. And so he's seeing this class of angel, uh, more than one of them, flying around with six wings, and the role, the particular role of the seraphim is to proclaim something about God. Cherubim is another classification of angel that you might remember from all the way back in Genesis 3 and other places throughout the Bible. Cherubim are around the throne of God, and they're like protector angels. Okay, They, they guard and protect. But the seraphim are proclaimers, and here they are proclaiming the holiness of God. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Perhaps you've heard some people describe God as the thrice holy God, and it's passages like these where we see holy, holy, holy brought together in one phrase. Uh, God is holy, holy, holy. But uh, I want us to notice some stuff about God in this passage, some descriptions that Isaiah offers us about the Lord. And so let's go back to the text here and, and just look at a couple of things. We see in the first verse that the Lord is sitting on a throne. Now, of course, this means that he is king, he is royalty. He is uh, recognized as a king in heaven. In his realm, he rules. Okay, that, Those are the types of people who are on thrones, right? Rulers. Well, God is the ultimate ruler, and so he is on 
the throne in this ultimate heavenly scene. Not only is he sitting on a throne, but Isaiah notes here in the first verse that the throne and God are lofty and exalted, up above all others. And so positionally, it's uh, spatially, God is over and above all other things as king and ruler. And he's wearing a robe. Not only is he sitting in a lofty and exalted position, but he's wearing a robe and the hem or the train of his robe fills the entire temple. It's a really long robe, which again is exaggerating the holiness, the kingship, the authority, the sovereignty of God. And as the angels proclaim, the seraphim, calling out to one another, there are, of course, many things they could say. They could say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty, right? They could say, truth, truth, truth is the Lord God Almighty. The angels could rightly say all sorts of things that God has revealed about himself that are true about his character, true about his nature. Eternal. They could say, eternal, eternal, eternal is the Lord God Almighty. But we see the angels, of course, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or it could be translated, uh, may the earth be filled with his glory. Of course, the earth is filled with his glory in the sense that His fingerprints are everywhere, so to speak. We see how this is all held together by God's sovereign power and wisdom and goodness. Um, And yet there's also this proclamation of everything that has breath should praise the Lord. Right? We, We proclaim to all creatures to live for the glory of God. But let's, uh, let's keep going. Uh, verse 4, more things that we're seeing about God. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. So this uh, seraphim calling out, or the seraph calling out to another seraph, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When that happens, the foundations of the thresholds tremble, and the temple is filling with smoke. So we see a reaction uh, from the the items around in the heavenly realm, a reaction to this proclamation that God is holy. And the reaction is, is kind of frightening. The foundation's shaking. I mean, if you've ever been in an earthquake or seen clips of earthquakes, that's pretty scary, right? The earth shaking, moving, causing everything to kind of feel out of place. It's abrupt. That's what's going on. The foundations are trembling or shaking. All right? The response to the holiness of God. The foundations tremble, and the temple fills with smoke. So the, the filling of the temple with this smoke, I imagine in one sense, you know, covers the holiness of God so that Isaiah is not consumed by God's all-consuming holiness. We see this happening um, in the holiest place in the temple in Israel, too, that there's to be incense at the altar uh, to, to cover and protect the high priest when he goes into the Holy of Holies. But we also just see this, again, exaggeration almost in, in human eyes 
of just like over the top expression of the holiness of God so that there's no doubt that this is the majestic being that you're interacting with. And Isaiah here is in the presence of the majestic one. And all that's happening around him points to God being totally, supremely other, totally, absolutely holy. And that word holy is really important. Um, If, I don't know, we, we cheapen so many words today. We just do. It's just a natural part of human communication. So many words just get cheapened. And holiness is one of them. Like, you've talked about someone being a really holy man. Well, when we say that, we don't ever mean that the other person's perfect, right? Like, think of the the most amazing spiritual person you've ever met. And you've perhaps said to other people, she is so holy, or he is so holy. You You didn't mean that person's never done anything wrong in his or her life. You know that that person has probably told a lie, probably stolen something, even if it's small, uh, probably has had hateful or lustful thoughts in his or her mind. And so we, we recognize when we use that word holy that uh, we're not talking about perfection. We're just talking about someone who's just really good or nice or whatever. Well, here when we're talking about the holiness of God and when Isaiah is recording what the angels are saying, when they proclaim holy, 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 they mean it. This isn't just like... Generally speaking, God's really just good. You know, the best being you could ever meet, God is. You know, that's not what's being said. This proclamation with all the things that are happening around with the throne and the robe and the, the shaking and the smoke, all of it is communicating that God is perfect in all that he is. There is no impurity There is not the slightest bit of infection or disease. God is whole, and he is holy. He is complete. He dwells in unapproachable light. And that is what Isaiah is seeing. And that's what's what's being communicated to Isaiah, is that God is absolutely holy, and, well, Isaiah is not. And we'll look at that more in just a moment, but I want to show you one more thing from the New Testament now. With this passage in mind, and we think of this whole scene that Isaiah is immersed in, I want to take us to John 12, where Jesus is interacting with some crowds. And there are, you know, a variety of people that are that he's interacting with. It says back in verse 20 that there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship, and so it's it's a mixed crowd probably. And Jesus here in John 12 is calling them to follow him, to worship him truly, to die to self, to live for him, because Jesus is God. And that's what God does. He calls all men everywhere to repent and to believe and follow him. Well, let's just jump right in to John chapter 12, verse 35. Here we see Jesus preaching to them that way. It says, Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. So here, 
is that presentation of the gospel. Jesus saying, I am the light. I am among you. You can become sons of light. Follow me. Come after me. Die to yourself. Cast the full weight of your trust and hope in me. And if Jesus was just a man, of course, this would be extremely egotistical, narcissistic, wrong. But again, Jesus is Jesus is God. Well, not everybody did that. In fact, very, very few people followed him. Very few believed. And so in the next section, we have an explanation of that. I mean, why is it that so many people still chose to reject Jesus even after hearing him teach and after witnessing so many of his miracles? Continuing on in verse 36, it says, These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. So the author here, John, is making a connection back to the book of Isaiah, not from our passage today, but from other, other places in Isaiah, where it shows that God has blinded certain people so that they would not believe. God's sovereignty really extends into our lives and touches so much of our lives, doesn't it? In fact, you can rightly say that God's sovereignty touches every area of our lives. And here, John is saying they weren't believing because God didn't save them. That's why. That's why they weren't believing. And I want us to consider now the next thing that that John says. He again is talking about the prophet Isaiah, And now he is going to talk about the passage we just looked at, that heavenly scene with the throne and the robe and the trembling and the smoke. It says in verse 41, These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who's him? Whose glory did Isaiah see? Well, this whole passage has been about Jesus, hasn't it? And look at the very next verse, verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. The same him that is in verse 41, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, for that they were uh, afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. But what we see here is John stating for us that the one who's on the throne the one who Isaiah saw, the glory that Isaiah beheld, it's all Jesus. Isaiah chapter 6 is about Jesus. Let's look at this again. Isaiah 6. And you can read it this way. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw Jesus sitting on a throne, the Son of God, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple, Seraphim stood above the Son of God, Jesus Christ, each having six wings. And they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Son of God. 
Jesus Christ, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now that is amazing, isn't it? That is absolutely amazing. And now we'll look at Isaiah's reaction to this. In verse 5, we haven't read this far yet. Then I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. (laughs) Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Ah, so much to see. See see what I mean? Like you could spend so much time just in this passage of Isaiah. Like you could spend five weeks studying this if you wanted to, and maybe you should. Well, here we have Isaiah's response to the Son of God. He's saying, I am unclean. You are totally holy, and I am totally not. Isaiah didn't come to him and say, hey, bud. He didn't come to him and say, there's my brother. There's my older brother. He didn't approach him that way at all. He didn't come to him and say, he's like me, just a little more advanced. But he has a recognition before the holy God that he is unclean. And this is confirmed because the angel comes and with that burning coal touches his lips I mean, isn't it fascinating, too, out of all the sins that Isaiah could admit to, he admits to having the sin of unclean lips. What he speaks is unholy. Jesus said that every idle word that man speaks will be judged. So it's very relevant that Isaiah felt that. Well, the angel comes by and purges him with this burning coal. It's all very symbolic, isn't it? But it gets the point across. He needed to be cleansed. He needed this, and he says to him, your sins have been forgiven. He gives him that promise. Isaiah's response was absolutely correct. I am unclean, and you are totally clean. You are God alone, and I am a fallen creature, a sinful creature, a rebellious, wicked, evil creature. And Isaiah, in that moment, relied on the cleansing that came from outside of himself to be made right with the one who's on the throne. And when that happens, when Isaiah is made right with him, the Lord, the one on the throne, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, whom shall I send who will go for us? Don't you love the the pronouns here? Whom shall I send? But then he says, who will go for us? This is a lot like Genesis one twenty six. let us make man in our image, because God is not only one person, God is three persons, and Father, Son, and Spirit here are calling out for one to go for them. Who shall I send? Who is Jesus, the Son of God, going to send? 
and who's going to go on behalf of the triune, thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. And of course, Isaiah's response here is ideal. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. If God calls out to one of his creatures, who's going to go on my behalf? What better response would there be than, I'm right here, send me. I volunteer anything for you, Lord. Now, we just considered eight verses, right? That's all it was, I think. Yeah, eight verses, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Are you seeing just so much here? I hope you are. I hope you see that the Bible is so deep and teaches us so much about who God is and who we are. But I have to ask you, do you approach Jesus Christ the way Isaiah here has approached the Son of God? Do you come before God, the Son, recognizing that you are unclean and cannot fix yourself, and you are in need of healing and forgiveness, cleansing from outside of yourself? This is how you are to come to Jesus. There are many, many people, in fact, the vast majority of people, who don't come to Jesus this way, who refuse to do it, just like we read about in John 12, many who God isn't saving, who have just straight up rejected the teaching of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the claims that Jesus made. Instead of recognizing, yes, he is the one true God, they say, ah, well, he's something else. He's, he's really nice. He's really good, but he's, he's something else. Instead of owning their sin and saying, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin because I can't do anything to fix myself. There are lots of people who say, well, Jesus, uh, you know, he knows that I try really hard and he'll recognize that I've tried really hard and, you know, he'll, he'll reward me for that. That is not the gospel of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the, the call of Scripture to come to Jesus recognizing him as he truly is and falling before him, repenting and believing, casting all of your trust and your care on him, that's what you should do before Jesus. Isaiah here is a model of how you should behave before the high and lifted up Son of God the one who's on the throne. You should come before him in fear because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of worship. You can't worship Jesus Christ if you don't fear him. And Isaiah gives us a model of what that should look like. And so do the angels for that matter. They cover themselves. They're covering their feet, hiding their creatureliness amid the smoking temple. We should come before Christ in this manner, reverently, laying out before him all of our shortcomings and all of the sin that we've chosen in rejection of him and say, Lord, forgive me. I am unclean. And the promise is, as soon as we do that, in true faith, we are forgiven. We're made whole. We're made clean. We're made new. That in an instant, you can be justified. The judge who's on his throne 
can say to you on the merits of Jesus Christ, based on the merits of Jesus Christ, you are innocent now and forevermore. And in that moment, you are exalted with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, that doesn't mean you die and you're there. But what that does mean is that from God's perspective, your spiritual position is with Jesus now. And we see Jesus on the throne again in the New Testament, not just back in Isaiah 6, but in Hebrews chapter 1, after making purification for sins, Hebrews 1.3, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we are now with Jesus in the heavenly places, if we believe. And no one can reverse that exaltation that you're given in a moment. You're cleansed of your sin, and you are exalted to the heavenlies with Jesus Christ, and no one can take that from you. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah saw Jesus and believed. Have you? Have you seen Jesus as he truly is and believed, trusted totally in his finished work and who he said he is, the one true God? Well, that's the lesson for today from Isaiah chapter 6. Hope that was helpful. Thanks for joining me. We have four more weeks of Isaiah. Isn't that incredible? Hope you come along with me as we uh, follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. Thanks for joining again, and God bless.